Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. Talk a lot about uh, design thinking with our co-host, who is a uh, who's an entrepreneur, uh, and she is the founder and CEO of Poppy, uh, Cameron Hardesty. And so I'm going to turn it over to Cameron to give her own introduction, and uh, and then we'll dive in. So Cameron, welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be here um, and to see all of your faces. Um, and I don't know if anyone guessed the song, but that was Robert Earl Keane. Um, and uh, any of our, I think there was someone from Dallas here. So. Um, so I'm Cameron. I'm the CEO and founder of Poppy. Poppy is an online florist reinventing the way people buy flowers. Um, we started with weddings and we launched into a global pandemic that gutted the weddings and events industry. And we quickly pivoted to selling flowers um, at other capacities, which I know we'll get into. But um, before I started Poppy, I was the head of merchandising at another flower, online flower, flower company called Urban Stems. Um, we were focused on gifting. And um, before that, I was working in communications. So uh, most recently in communications at the White House Drug Policy Office, where I did speech writing, um, digital strategy, PR, sort of the whole gamut. So that's a little bit of background about me. So let's go back to your time at the White House. Your working on communications, obviously around drug policy. Uh, and how do you get from there to deciding to join a, a startup in the floral industry when you went to Urban Stems? Like what was the transition? What yeah. was attractive about how'd you get there? Well, so I will say something, and this is half joking, but the supply chains for drugs and flowers are very similar. So in that way, it was a smooth transition. Um, but everything else is different about those two jobs. And I think, you know, going back a few years, I always had an entrepreneurial bent. Um, right after I graduated college, I actually started a little photography business. And um, I think I'd always wanted to be in that type of environment. And I was just looking for the right outlet. Um, so while I was there, I took my parents on a Christmas tour in 2012, the White House, and the flowers were incredible. And the White House every year goes all out on Christmas decor. And I was just really captivated by the floral design. And I had dabbled in floral design like many people do and decided to reach out to the chief floral designer of the White House, Laura Dowling, to see if she would let me come in and volunteer. And she was really friendly and welcoming. And you know, there are times in your career where um, someone just opens a door for you and it changes everything. And that was definitely Laura. Um, and, and then I spent the next year and a half, nights and weekends in the flower shop with Laura, and I kept begging her to hire me there, but she didn't have any open positions. And my colleague um, at the White House, her husband and best friend, Jeff and Ajay, started Urban Stems. And so I remember when they first launched their website, we all went to the White House bowling alley to celebrate, and they invited me. And so I remember meeting the other co-founders really early on. And it just was a very organic relationship. I 
started out helping them with content marketing and giving them feedback on flowers and um, then sort of carved out my own role and then kept insisting that they hire me full time. And then finally they did. <laughs> so you, you picked up a curiosity around, around, I guess the floral design side of the equation. Um, and did, did you have any formal training in it or did you, did you basically pick it up on that nights and weekends and, and how did you start to kind of develop your own, I guess your own design thinking uh, from there? Most, I mean, actually, you know, the, it's so funny and I love that we're, the design thinking is the topic of this conversation because the thing that made me realize I needed to make a career change was um, design thinking. I was doing a week-long workshop for government employees and training them in design thinking. And I remember on the first day, the facilitator asked us to write down um, what it was about the mission of our agency that woke us up every day. And I couldn't think of anything except for the word beauty. And I thought, oh my God, I cannot keep working in drug policy communications because that is not the core of this job. And um, it was in, it, that was my first exposure to IDEO, to the ideas of design thinking. I had never really been exposed to it in a meaningful way before. And um, it totally changed the way I thought about what I was capable of career-wise and creatively. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, with floral design, I think one of the tenets of being a floral designer is you just have to figure it out. And that's how I think a lot of art is created is just someone decided that they would figure something out that they didn't know how to do before. And um, I taught myself and then Laura taught me and I was looking to really develop my skills and I was asking her where I should do that and turned out really the best place to do that was in Germany with this master designer named Gregor Lersch. And he was, it was a steal of a deal. It was like a five day workshop. Um, and that and the travel and the lodging was all less expensive than if I were to go to go, if I were to go to the New York flower school and do a two day workshop. So it was kind of a no brainer. And I went over there a couple of times and I got, I learned a ton and more in those five days than I probably would have done in years uh, otherwise. And so that was kind of my formal training, I would say, but most floral designers in the U.S. are self-taught. But one of the reasons I wanted to start Poppy was I know there are a lot of people out there who have that desire um, to learn floral design, even if it's just for fun, and there really aren't any good pathways to developing your skills. And so um, I wanted to create something that gave people a pathway to sort of professionalize that interest. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I learned floral design. I get a lot of questions from folks who are thinking about doing something entrepreneurial and there's sort of two paths that I observe, especially for people who have, let's call it day jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's either they go down the path of something that's familiar to them and they see an opportunity within the, the domain expertise that they have. So uh, whether that's uh, something in technology or it's something in, um, in, in your case, uh, around, let's say, drug policy, maybe it, it, the pathway leads to, you know, starting an organization that either a nonprofit or a for-profit and those things. So, so one path is the domain experience path. And then there's those that make the transition to something completely different, uh, as you did, right? And obviously use communications in almost anything, but clearly a very different, both 
the domain drug policy and then the skills that are there. And I love that you took an approach that was about kind of go and go deep and learn about the topic that you were interested in. But then how do you make the leap? You, you were at Urban Stems for a while. What prompted you to take the risk to say, all right, now I've gained some experience in this space. I'm ready to go start my own thing, which is smart to go get experience kind of on somebody else's nickel um, and then go and figure it out for yourself. What was that kind of transition like? Yeah, so I, I would say I spent up until I went to Urban Stems, I never really had a five-year plan because I don't think I'd ever found something I wanted to commit to for that long. And I, going into Urban Stems, I was very strategic about this. I, Scott, I was an English major, but I was basically like a poetry major. So I didn't learn really any hard skills in college. And I, everything that I learned, I developed kind of in my 20s, working at various and various capacities and communications. And I could see what the next steps were for me to become a communications director, go back into the private sector. And I didn't want that job. And I thought, well, what else can I do? You know, like what, what's really going to stain me kind of spiritually for a long time. And so I thought, let's, I, I've always been entrepreneurial. Like let's give this a whirl. Um, and so I went into urban STEMs thinking the, the biggest upside for me um, over the next you know, 10 years is gonna be starting my own business. And yes, I'll be taking a step back in terms of salary, um, but I'm not at a point where that's not possible. So let's take the risk now. So I knew going into Urban Stems, I would start my own business afterwards. And I would say very much to Ajay Corey's credit, um, and he, we're still you know, pretty close. He really wanted Urban Stems to be kind of like an entrepreneur factory. And he always encouraged us to learn as much as we could and to push ourselves and fail and um, learn from those failures. And I think he, he, his hope was that more entrepreneurs would come out of Urban Stems. And Ajay and I have very similar personalities and styles. And so I think he kind of, we kind of always just resonated with each other. And I, I always felt the encouragement from him to learn as much as I could. And, um, you know, in preparation for starting my own business. So that was always the plan. I didn't plan on starting a flower company. Actually, um, we talked about this earlier, but you know that my co-founder of the first company I started before Poppy. Um, which was in a completely different field. And I think I, um, even though we both stepped away from that business after less than a year, um, it taught me a lot about the value of getting domain expertise and continuing down a path. And obviously you've done that with Upside. Um, I, I just looked up one day and thought, God, I've basically gotten this like PhD in flowers. Like, how could I leave this behind? I have this incredible network. Um, so I never planned on creating a, a company that was competitive to Urban Stems, but then, you know, 2020 sort of threw everyone a curveball. Um, but yeah, it was always my plan to go on and create another, a business afterwards. So you, you had things teed up for Poppy, and we usually spend a little time talking about people's pandemic adventures um, in, the, <laughs> in their business. So you were queued up uh, in 2020, locked down, all kinds of weddings plotted out, you know, your, the wedding season, which probably runs through June or July, I'm guessing. Yeah. And uh, uh, March, not so much. So what, what were the things you did to, 
to kind of stay in the game and you've had supply issues, et cetera. So why don't you just take us through that? Yeah. So we, I really started marketing the business September, 2019. And then we launched our website January. And by then our spring wedding season was booked. And that's pretty unusual for a first time wedding florist. And even though I know a lot about flowers and I knew a lot about flowers going into it and the supply chain and the merchandising, kind of every aspect of the retail side of it, I knew nothing about, very little about wedding flowers. And I, the, the only really big wedding floral thing that I had done was my wedding. And I had done a few other smaller weddings, but I was really learning a lot for the first time. And, um, I was gearing up for honestly a, a very chaotic spring because I think operationally uh, we just, we didn't have enough designers in place. I was going to be doing running the business and doing all the weddings with the help of a few designers. So I was really nervous <laughs> about what was coming down the pike. We had a lot of demand, but it was going to be a lot to execute on. And so when the pandemic hit, um, I hate to say this, but there was a moment where I felt a sigh of relief where I was like, Oh, something else is possible now. Like every single weekend isn't gonna be me schlepping buckets around. Okay, now what? So for, I would say two weeks, it was like the valley of despair. And I was on Zoom calls with other entrepreneurs, many of them in the food and beverage worlds. Um, my friend Shizu, who has the company Drink and Apothecary had coordinated a lot of these calls and it was a lot of doom and gloom. And then I thought, I had to pull myself out of that and say, okay, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about this PPP program, but I have an international supply chain of flowers I could turn on tomorrow. So it's like, forget the, I mean, I did end up applying for PPP, but I thought like, forget PPP. Like I'm not waiting on the government to figure this out for me. Um, let's start selling flowers. So I called up the farms and said, we're going to start selling flowers. Like, let's go. And the first boxes we sent were so janky. They like had a poppy sticker on top of the farm's box and um but it was pretty janky but I was like we just got to get going because that's just kind of how my personality is I'm like let's start it and then we'll make it better as we go but let's just go and um so yeah we pivoted to selling DIY flower arranging kits and um I didn't want to sell bouquets right away for this is very inside baseball I'm probably boring for anyone not in the flower industry but it's just uh, harder to ensure quality when you sell pre-made bouquets versus bulk flowers. And so really the DIY flower arranging kit was a way to kind of market and merchandise what was easier operationally to get off the ground. Um, but it also tied back into my own story, which was, this is how I learned floral design, which is going to a wholesaler and picking up flowers and teaching myself. And I thought, I think there are other people out there who wanna do this. And it turns out, there were, especially with everyone stuck at home and um, everyone learning how to make sourdough. And I think once people got past that stage, they were looking for other hobbies and flowers, you know, they brighten your space, they make people happy. And it's kind of like an experience, you know, which that's, that's really what I love about it is the experience of designing. So let's, let's shift to, to kind of design thinking. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about how you've applied it to your business, not necessarily about how you apply it to the floral design piece. We'll come back to that, but all right, you kind of went to school on flowers. You have a design thinking mentality around this. How have you applied it practically 
into this. So for example, you know, you've got this DIY kit concept uh, and you just talked about it being, you know, janky and slapping a sticker on it. That doesn't, that sounds like what an engineering guy like me would do work backwards from the operations as opposed to start from the design itself. Um, not that there's a problem with that as, as engineers go, but, uh, but so tell me how you balance that. You had to make a transition quickly. How did you apply it? Talk me through the, the process there. Yeah, so I very much, so when I was at the White House, um, I was there when we implemented Kanban and this, this agile development process. And so my thinking is very much in line with minimum viable product. Um, but I also saw at Urban Stems that if uh, you launch a minimum viable product to a customer who needs a minimum lovable product, they're not going to buy what you're selling. Um, and so it, for me, it was a balance of those two. I wouldn't say they're polar opposites, but you can get away with an MVP in software in a way you can't get away with an MVP in a consumer product. And so um, I kind of did lean in a little bit to the fact that we were in the middle of a once in a lifetime global pandemic and customers were feeling, I think, especially forgiving in that moment. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, the packaging isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is just to see if this works. And if it works, then we'll invest in packaging. Um, and if it works, we'll invest in collateral. And then it did work. And so the more it worked, the more we put back into developing the product. Um, and I think the biggest thing about design thinking that we just, I embed into all of my work and I think the team does too is empathy. And flowers are um, such an emotional purchase for people that if you're not empathizing with why they're buying the flowers and who those are going to, you're totally missing the point. Um, and so one of the ways that I wanna reinvent the way flowers are, how Americans really interact with flowers is being really upfront with people about how flowers are delivered to them and corresponding that with why they're buying. So if you're buying flowers, just like Scott, you have to have in your home, in your office, not really care if they get there on a Wednesday or Friday, but if it's Valentine's day and you are two days late, you totally miss the point. And flowers are a logistics business. And so there's something to aligning um, the customer's needs with the operations of the business that to me just go back to empathy and customer understanding and really understanding what is it that's bringing the customer to you? What are they there for? And then meeting them, you know, where they are. And I think just thinking back to the David Kelly example, when they developed the new type of shopping cart, um, they really watched customers and like watched how the users were interacting with the product to make it better. Um, and Think there's a lot of room for improvement in the flower industry and urban sims definitely got the ball rolling so you, you talked about kind of the what i describe as the tension you you talked about the tension between minimum lovable product and minimum viable product how did you decide what elements were lovable and which ones were things that you could abandon what did you go through a process to, to just talk a little bit about that yeah i think for me um again, going back to the empathy, I think the biggest blockers to getting the, the product up and running was getting the packaging done. And the flowers are already growing in the ground. There's already a process for putting them in a box and moving them from point A to point B, I have to sort of plug into that. Um, so 
to me, the most important thing was what's inside of the box, because that's what's going to bring people joy. And ultimately, that's what they're buying. And everything else is kind of icing on the cake. And so from that perspective, that that helped me whittle down which farms to work with. And in the, in the end, we only worked with two. And we still are keeping like a very core group of farm vendors. And then I just said the packaging doesn't matter um, until we validate that people are actually going to buy this. Um, and it was a pretty straightforward process. I don't think that it wasn't like, you know, we, it's not, they're flowers, it's not rocket science. Um, but there were certain things that, like the flowers are the priority from my, from my perspective. And you can have the most beautiful packaging on earth, but that's not what people are buying when they come to our website. So how did you think through the website? Did you test constructs around, you talked about, hey, we just got to sell flowers. How did you end up with a do-it-yourself kit where you presumably were giving some design instructions that would come along with it. Like, did you, did you get it right, right out of the gate or did you test some things and find out that you were out of your mind? And we'd like to hear about the failure parts first, please, because yeah. that's how we learn. Sure. So, well, the website is actually a result of the ultimate design thinking exercise. We did a product design sprint back in September um, with an agency in New York um, and in a week came up with the site that you see today. And that has held us in very good stead for the last year. Um, but we um, didn't have an e-commerce functionality in March and we quickly spun that up and it wasn't pretty. Um, but again, MVP, it worked. Um, and then we tried a few different things at the beginning, like um, in early April, we tried to get, we were doing like a weekly Zoom class and we just made it really complicated where it was like, go to our site and then sign up on Eventbrite and then we'll send you a Zoom link. And we ended up with like five people. Um, and so that was a failure. Um, and then we started doing Instagram lives where I would just basically go on Instagram by myself and say the same thing over and over again about floral design. And that wasn't that exciting. Um, and then we tried, we launched a product partnership and I thought, why don't we do like a co Instagram live? And that was a hit on something where we realized, oh, having a conversation over flowers is a lot more interesting than just designing them. Um, so now every week we do an Instagram live on Wednesday evening called Wednesday Strip Club, where um, and we call it Strip Club because one of the biggest problems with flower care is customers don't know that they should take the leaves off the stems if the leaves are gonna be in water because that um, the leaves disintegrate and the water gets dirty and then the flowers drink the dirty water and they die. And then the customer calls me and says, you sent me bad flowers. And I'm like, well, look at the water. It's super dirty. Would you want to drink water like that? Anyways, I have a lot to say about flower care, but um, I wanted to emphasize the care of flowers in addition to the design, because that's really important to the longevity of our product and impacts the customer experience. So I would say lots of iterations to get to Wednesday strip club, but now I feel like that's in a good place at least. And then we did a DIY video um, in basically like an auto body garage and my husband filmed it uh, and it was really very DIY. Um, and our, if you go to our site now, you can find a DIY page that looks a lot more polished. But I actually think people really liked the sort of janky version because they could relate to it and it didn't feel too professional and like overwhelming. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's a sense of the iteration process and 
the notion that you have to try things. And I think the other thing for me is from a design thinking standpoint, constantly keeping in mind, not only your customer empathy and mindset, but also your business objectives and what you need to accomplish with those. Mm -hmm. You know, so an example in your business is everybody would love free flowers, but you can't actually run a business by giving away free flowers. Yeah. So what, what do you need to do to make the product itself both valuable to the customer as well as something that is going to create a sustainable or scalable business, depending on, on what you're trying to achieve. If you were uh, you know, providing some advice from a design thinking standpoint to somebody who's, let's say their business is struggling, right? It's not quite going the way that they want it to be going. What strategies would you recommend to kind of sort of step back and kind of unpack things? What, what approach might you take? Yeah, I mean, I think, and we're just at the end of a Techstars program. So I'm very much in this mindset of product market fit and how do you know when you have it? Um, and I think that before you build, you have to have a very strong foundation of research. And so the first thing that I would say to do is research and it's worth the time, even if it slows you down. Um, because yeah, slow is, was it slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Um, and, and we did a lot of research in 2019. Um, we talked to dozens and dozens of floral designers to really understand their pain points. And that research turned into the core tenets of how we develop our um, network of floral designers. And they're who we ultimately will be leaning on for last mile logistics for our deliveries long-term. And so keeping them happy and understanding what motivates them is mission critical. And every conversation that I have with a floral designer where they're like, oh, you're right, I hate marketing, or I don't know how to price myself, or where do I get flowers? How do you get them at this, like, this quality at this price? It just goes back and validates these conversations we had a year and a half ago. And it, it reinforces to me the value of, of research and like really understanding your customer, um, whether it's a stakeholder or a customer. But um, I think there's a lot more we could do on the customer side. Um, and actually last this week or last week, our number one um, revenue stream was floral subscriptions. And so we're for the first time ever. So we're actually seeing that people, um, we do have this sort of recurring scalable revenue stream and subscriptions. And so now we're thinking, okay, let's, let's talk to these customers, like just get on the phone and talk to them. Um, and after every purchase, we have an automated email that goes out from me um, that basically asks the customer to get on the phone with me if they want to. And I'd talk to probably five customers a week and just have the same conversation over and over again. Um, and it's incredibly helpful, but it's, it's like gold talking to customers. It seems so simple, but it's surprising how many businesses just don't do it. I, I can't agree with you more. In fact, I harp on this all the time about going back to those first principles mm -hmm. and not just talking to the customers at the beginning, but as you pointed out along the way and really taking the time to do, to do that research. And people describe research as it can feel overwhelming or complicated. Oh, I got to run a survey or a study or that. No, it really is just talk to people about, yeah. you know, about what they're experiencing. And if you're struggling in your, in your business in some way, 
my first recommendation is to go back to those same first principles and to your point, validate, revalidate those things or challenge some of your assumptions that may have seemed right before, but now you're, you've got new customer dynamics, et cetera. And, you know, in a business like yours, and well, this is true for a lot of businesses, you don't know how much of the here and now of the pandemic is enhancing the business and will that be sustained over a long period of time? So, you know, that ongoing interview process is a really smart way to stay on top of it if things start to shift. Yep, absolutely. Um, so it's, it's smart. When you look at design, you've touched on research being a really important part. Uh, designers are problem solvers. So is there a, is there any kind of methodology that you go through from kind of, let's say you're creating a new, uh, a new kit that you're going to DIY kit that you're in, what, what process or what methodology do you use? Uh, or do you have a fixed one or do you have something that you kind of approach it a little differently each time? Well, flowers in particular lend themselves to seasonality. So that is like our first sort of layer. Um, but then the second layer is like, asking ourselves, why would someone buy this? Like, what are they using it for? Um, and who is that person? So we have our customer personas and um, we have, a, they're pretty distinct, especially across, I mean, weddings is a whole separate thing, but um, for flowers in particular, we have a customer persona who we like lovingly refer to as the flower mom. And she's in her 50s, 60s plus, empty nester, has achieved some career success and just wants beauty and has extra time. And so we keep that, that person in mind whenever we design arrangements. And um, we've seen a lot of pickup in that market. Um, and it's one that I love because I think it's so often overlooked um, where everyone's building a brand for millennials and now Gen Zs and like, it's all about TikTok. And I think TikTok is gonna be a really important marketing channel, but 57% of those users are not in our demographic and they probably can't afford to spend money on flowers every month. Um, so I think we always think about with a flower mom like this? Does she want this? What is she using it for? Um, and when we build kits, it's with that in mind. Um, and one of the things we've found a lot of success with is tying that in with influencers who have a particular point of view. So we were now developing kits with influencers who, um, for whom this really resonates with them and their audience. And that helps us guide the design too, because what's what's most personal is what's most universal. So most people use flowers to connect with each other and to tap into their own creativity. And that that's also kind of like a guiding light for us. But I would say the framework is first seasonality because people want to buy flowers that correlate with the seasons. Second, why is someone buy, why would someone buy these? And then drilling deeper, um, what persona do we think this kit is going to resonate the most with? with an emphasis on the ones that keep coming back. I love your emphasis on having a, a persona in mind and in particular, a commitment to it. It's really, really important because it allows you to stay focused and it allows you to weed out things like, no, we're not going to run some TikTok campaigns. Our customers aren't there. Even if it's the hot, new, exciting thing, if you're committed to a persona and it's working for you, then 
um, and, and go, kind of going hard after it and then find out maybe it is, maybe it isn't. If it is, keep playing into it. If it isn't, then go, go back to first principles. I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget about both the persona and then, as you said, why, right? Why are they, why are they engaging with you around that product? And just going back to that again and again and again is so important. And that's not to say we have, I mean, we definitely don't have things figured out. We're still very much experimenting. And that the influencer collaboration thing that I mentioned was a total flyer. We, we started sending um, influencers flowers in June. And then we would watch like which ones actually drove sales. And early on, it was more or less anecdotal because we didn't, we weren't reaching statistical significance in any meaningful amount of time. And so I remember seeing a customer refer to the inf this influencer in a note and said, I only bought these because Ella told me to. And I thought, wow, I haven't seen that before. So we reached, so from that broader group of influencers, we honed in on one because we had this one piece of data that felt pretty impactful in the moment and a total experiment to launch a kit with her. It turned out great. And now it's this framework for how we develop new products in a way that reduces our reliance on the Facebook algorithm. Um, but we would have never done that if we hadn't taken a flyer on the first one. But it wasn't a total random thing. We use data to inform the decision to make an experiment. I'm a, I'm a bit of a sneakerhead. And so I love, I love collaboration. So this one is Elmo and Puma. That's amazing. Uh, meet, meet suede. Uh, but but the idea of finding collaborations that you can leverage is a is a great is a great concept, and I think running the experiment to find out whether it's actually going to pay off or not. I find so many entrepreneurs who fall in love with this idea and they put a whole program together and then they reach out and they go to 25 influencers and they stand up this special referral code marketing thing and then they find out that they were wrong, uh, and wasted an enormous amount of energy. Um, along the way. Um, uh, the, the very, very helpful. Um, I, we had a couple of questions that have come in that I don't think I've covered off on. So let me, uh, let me see if I can scoop those up. Uh, so the first one is around design. Uh, when you went through the process last September, uh, you, you obviously came up with a website design. Did you go through the process of creating basically a design system with colors and choices and how did you go about making those decisions? That's a great question. So one of the first things that we did was um, sort of a brand building exercise and um, the former head of brand from Kava, Nikki Rapoport, was working with me on developing a brand system. Um, and so probably like one of the first documents we had internally was a, was a brand guide and it, it all flowed from the name Poppy, um, which I actually decided on when I was down at the farm in Ecuador and I saw them growing this beautiful Italian Poppy. They actually couldn't export because uh, customs couldn't tell the difference between that and, and an opium Poppy. Um, and so I thought, wow, these are my two worlds colliding. Um, and it was such a beautiful flower. It was so compelling. I couldn't believe it, how beautiful it was. And so I thought, oh, that's the name for the business. Um, Turns out a lot of people think Poppy is a good name for a flower business. So that's a question, just discussion for another day. Um, but 
from there, it was like, obviously red is a great color for poppy business, red and white. And then we just iterated from there and added in secondary colors and, um, but all ones that sort of tie up to the name. Um, so that's how we made those decisions. And then, um, but didn't hold on to them too rigidly. So we had that going into the product design sprint, but then the designer we were working with on the design sprint put together a bunch of prototypes in Figma and he um, introduced a couple other sort of secondary colors we hadn't considered, but ended up being, they, they're still on the site now. So I would say we, we started with sort of a foundation, but we were open to other inputs as we went along. Um, but yeah, it all, it all kind of came from the name. I'll, um, I'll pile on there a little bit and just looking at your site, a few folks have, have clicked over to it. Uh, you know, having a, having a color theme, but also having those secondary and, and tertiary colors built into your design system. That's why your design is held up, even though you pivoted and changed and added things along the way. And one of the mistakes, not mistakes, but one of the learnings we had at Upside was we anchored on purple um, for our logo and our love mark, but then we overused it. And it became, um, it actually needed to be not the primary, it needed to be the accent color. And we needed to define other colors that acted as the primary grounding base color for things. Uh, so uh, to that question around that, the, it's more importantly about the design system, the brand, and then also making sure that you've got talented designers, visual designers around it. So you don't, you know, go overboard one direction or another. Um, I'm going to give you a choice of two hard questions. You get to pick one. We might get to both of them, but we're going to run out of time here in a minute. Um, so one of the questions was about the business with the co-founder that, that didn't work. And what was the, what was the driver of, of, you know, how did you come together and then how did you, how did you kind of depart? Um, so that was, that, that's one of the questions. And then the other one is to go back to, um, do you think that the name Poppy was the right choice now, since you can't actually Google Poppy and find you, you get to pick. I can share, I can talk about, well, I will say we have an SEO hack because our first domain was your poppy. And so if you Google your poppy flowers, we're the first result. And that's what I did on the Today Show appearance. I kept calling us your poppy and I'll probably keep doing that. So, but Smart. separate discussion on SEO. Um, let's see. Um, so actually I met Angela, my former co-founder at your um, rooftop party on the, at the Watergate um whenever in june 2019 and we just hit it off ajay the urban stems former urban stem ceo introduced us i think they had gone on like one date um didn't work out and angela and i just really hit it off and um it was almost like when you're first dating someone and i'm married but like when you're first dating someone you spend a lot of time with them you're kind of like falling in love i feel like we were falling in love as co-founders but one of the things that happens when you fall in love really quickly is you make big decisions that maybe it would have been better to wait. So like I, when I fell in love with my husband, we didn't get married two months later. We waited a couple years and really made sure we knew each other. And I think getting into business with someone is very similar. A lot of people have said that and I think it's true. Um, and so Angela and I just kind of went full steam ahead. And then over the course of about six months, I think started really learning about each other and our styles and our um, strengths and weaknesses. And I think what ultimately made us not a great fit as co-founders, but really good fit as friends is that we have pretty similar 
strengths and aesthetic interests and um, motivations, but our styles are very different. And like our Myers-Briggs styles are different, even though our strengths finder strengths are. Um, and I think that caused us to, we both are very, I would, uh, very driven and want to be the leader. And it's hard to have two CEOs. <laughs> and I think ultimately that was the thing that made it impossible for us to move forward. Um, and luckily she went on to actually create a, I went on to create a completely different business. She went on to create a completely different business and she's thriving and I'm thriving. And after some healing, we became friends again. Um, and so ultimately it feels like we definitely made the right decision, but it was not easy in the moment because we had both told all of our networks that this is what we were doing. Um, you know, it was hard. It was a really hard decision to make. It sucked. I took like two months off afterwards and just to like find myself, but, um, and I think she did too, but, um, ultimately I think as time has gone on, it's been clear it was the right thing to do. So. That's great. Well, as you may know, Angela was on Founders Focus talking about pivoting in the past. So if you're watching this and you want to hear more about it, you can go to the podcast or go to YouTube and you can sort of get the Angela side, which lines up, not surprisingly, with yours. Um, I really appreciate you being here, Cameron. Thank you. And thank everybody. It was awesome. Um, uh, so uh, next Founders Focus. Well, first off, uh, poppyflowers.com is uh, the web address. So if you want to get your own DIY kit, um, I highly recommend it, especially if you want to learn about really applying design thinking in a way that's really very safe, like in your own house and make some flowers and mistakes are limited. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at tscottcase and uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.